Now, I don't want to ruin that bumper for you because I find it very powerful. But when it says hope is on the way, I just can't get out of my head Mrs. Doubtfire. Hope is on the way. Like, I don't know. Like, that's just what's going through my mind. But we're in a series that we started last week called Holy Moments. And today we're talking about Mary. Last week we talked about Joseph because I mentioned that Mary gets a lot of stage time. She kind of takes over the Christmas story before Jesus. But rightly so, because she's the mother of Jesus and the woman who carried him full term and gave birth to him. So, of course, she gets a little more attention. So today we're talking about the idea of surrender through the context of Mary, through her story, through her encounter with the angel Gabriel. And did you know that we all have something in common this Christmas? All of us have something to surrender. There's perhaps a relationship that we need to surrender. Perhaps it's a job opportunity that we're trying to figure out. Should I take it? Should I not? And we need to just surrender it. Perhaps it's your future, your kid's future, your grandkid's future. And they're trying to figure out what to do. You're trying to figure out to, what to do. And you just need to surrender it. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's the idea of being generous in the context of a culture right now where it seems easier to try and hold on to things and accumulate and kind of store it up than to actually release it to bless others and to further God's kingdom. And God's just saying to you, you need to surrender these things and lean into a lifestyle of generosity. Be a blessing to people around you. But before we get started with this idea of surrender, we have to ask, what does surrender even look like? I mean, when I think about it, I think about white flags going up, kind of waving the flag. I think about raising your hands, like, I can't do it. I think about kind of tapping out. Essentially, when I think about surrender, I often think about this idea of giving up. But what that kind of implies is this negative connotation. Like, there's, there's a lot of negative baggage with giving up. So I like what someone else said, surrender isn't giving up, it's letting go. You see, Amanda and I have always felt this strong sense of God's calling on our lives to be in ministry. And no matter what, this is something that God has called us into. We just both felt it strongly and we both had that call, felt that call before we even met each other. But here's a secret that I'm going to tell you. No matter what it is that God calls you into, I can tell you one thing, and Amanda and I have learned this time and time again. Surrender is not just a moment in time. It's moments all the time. It's daily. It's weekly. Sometimes it might even be hourly. It's all the time. Surrender is not just a moment in time. It's moments all the time. And I say that because... There are days where you're like, okay, I made this big moment, this commitment, I surrendered, but I don't know if I should have done that. Like ministry, every job is hard. Ministry's hard. Accounting's hard. Plumbing's hard. We all have our stresses. We all have our go-tos, but ministry has this weird sense of work and calling, this relational component, and, and sometimes it's just stressful. And I'm like, man, if I didn't have this calling on my life, I don't know if I'd be able to stick it out. And even though I had this moment of surrender way back when in January 1st, 2007, in the wee hours of the morning, 
there have had to be so many other moments of surrender from then until now. Most of you here, if you've been with us for a little while, know my story. I didn't want a church plan. I was like, no, thank you. But I knew not to tell God no, because then you have to do it. So I thought I was sneaky, and I was like, okay, I won't tell God no. I'll just say he has to make it so ridiculously clear. And guess what? He did. And here we are. But the very same weekend that Amanda and I moved into a house in Binbrook, Mountainside decided that it was their weekend to launch their video saying, we're bringing a new church to Binbrook. And suddenly I'm like, okay, God, I, I thought you called us. Like, so again, people are messaging me saying, congrats on your new church. I just saw the video. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's not me. We don't even have a church name. I don't know what we're doing. Like, and we had to continually surrender to God. Every night, to pull back the layers a little bit more, my prayer as I fell asleep, I would look over at Amanda and I would say, what the heck are we doing? Amen. And then I'd go to sleep. That was literally my prayers. We started church planting. But you see, life isn't just measured in time. We talked about this last week. Life isn't just measured in time. It's measured in moments. And these moments become holy moments. And what I love about the big moments is that they help us remember God's amazing work and his goodness in all of the other little moments. So this Christmas season, if there's something that you need to surrender, that you're looking to God for, go to him in prayer, talk to him, ask him, and do not be afraid. So today we're jumping into Luke's gospel, and we'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. So you can use the Bibles located in the seats in front of you, or you can scan this QR code, and it will take you right into the Bible app on your phone. But as you're turning there, this story is one that I'm sure you've heard many, many times. Even if you haven't been around the church for long, if you didn't grow up in the church, I'm sure you know of Mary and baby Jesus. And you might know that, yeah, there was an angel involved. Well, his name is Gabriel. And then something happened. Long story short, Jesus was born. We have Christmas. That's kind of the, the story we know in a nutshell. But when you understand the context of this story of Mary and Gabriel, when you pay attention to some of these details and focus on the moment, I believe it will change for you what you feel about surrender. And I believe that it will also help impact your Christmas season because this story is amazing. So let's go ahead and take a look at the scripture, starting out in Luke 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month. Now let's all say six month. Six month. Why? Well, because we're going to be coming back to this idea about the sixth month later. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Gabriel shows up. He's one of two named angels. He shows up three times in scripture, once to Daniel, once to Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, and then right here to Mary. So God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, I don't know what you picture when you think of Nazareth, but it's not the bustling community with lots of people and roads and things happening. Here's the thing, what archaeologists and scholars believe is that Nazareth is between 10 and 30 acres big. Like, that's it. So if we split the difference and just say 20 acres, 
that would be comparable to about 15 football fields or eight baseball diamonds, 310 tennis courts, or 3,240 parking spots, which if Google is correct, is less than what Lime Ridge Mall has. So Nazareth is not very big. In general, the average person can walk across an acre in about 35 seconds. So that would take about 700 seconds or a little more than 11 and a half minutes to walk the 20 acres. It's crazy. It's just not that big of a community. And it's why all of a sudden in John's gospel, Jesus is out there and he's calling his disciples and he tells Philip, Philip, come on, let's go. And Philip's like, hey, I got to go get Nathaniel. So he runs over to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, what good comes from Nazareth? Because it's this tiny little thing. And, and Philip's saying, no, no, like, you know who, who Moses and the prophets, they talked about that guy, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth? He, he's the guy. And again, he questions, what good comes out of Nazareth? And you know what? There's some of us who might be coming from a Nazareth. It might be a small town or it might be a broken background of all these little places in your life where you never thought you would end up, never thought you would be, and you're thinking, what good can come out of here? But all of a sudden, God is pulling you out of those places. And you're thinking, I don't have the looks, I don't have the education, I don't have the experience, but guess what? It doesn't matter. You're exactly who God can use for your circumstance and situation. So never doubt what God can do in and through these unexpected moments. Because what good can come out of Nazareth? And it's in this context of Nazareth that the angel Gabriel comes down. So continuing on in verse 27, he comes to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, here's the thing we touched on last week. I don't think we can imagine just how hard this was for Joseph. Now, not to say it's not hard for Mary. We'll get to that. <laughs> but for Joseph, it creates this crazier dynamic to the story because we have to realize Mary's about 14, 15 years old and from this little dumpy town that's only 20 acres large. And Nazareth boasted a population somewhere between 200 and 400 people max. So the people in Nazareth could barely fill up our sponsor church gateway out in Caledonia. Like 400 people, max. This is where she's from. So think about this in verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Confused and disturbed. Here's the thing. I told you that Gabriel appeared three times and to Daniel and to Zechariah. And the Bible records that at the site, the very site of Gabriel, they both fell down face to the ground and they were shook with fear. But with Mary, the Bible records something different. And I love it. She was confused and disturbed by what Gabriel said. The other two guys, they fell down and they're afraid. Mary's sitting there taking it in and she's confused and disturbed. Well, what did he say? He said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And what's so bad about that? Like, I mean, wouldn't you want an angel to say to you, like, greetings, favored woman. Greetings, favored man. Like, that should be empowering. Like, all right, I have an angel showing up to me. Unless 
you don't believe it. Unless you think, why would you come to me? Like, I'm just this teenage girl from Nazareth. What are you even doing here? I don't get it. And you see, sometimes God calls you in moments where you don't feel like you're callable. You're thinking, who am I? But God is calling you to do his work. And you're the perfect person for who God can do a work in. But Mary's disturbed. So the angel says, hey, the Lord is with you. And in scripture, if you ever see an angel or if an angel ever shows up to you today and says, hey, greetings, favored woman, favored man, the Lord is with you. Well, essentially that means buckle up because things are about to get wild. So heads up for if an angel ever has an encounter with you. So Mary's disturbed because she knows whatever's about to happen is about to be insane. It's going to be crazy. And she's going to have to surrender, not just this one moment in time, but moments all the time. So in verse 30, the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And favor with God in this context, it's a word called charis. And it's like this unmerited favor, this undeserved grace. And what's interesting to note is in the Old Testament, the first time this word is used and a character is described as having found favor in God's eyes is Noah, the guy who built the ark. And when the earth got flooded out, he saved humanity through the ark. And then the first time in the New Testament that this word is used and this idea is portrayed of finding favor with God is here with Mary, who's going to have Jesus and give birth to the Messiah who is also going to save humanity from their sin. I love it. I love how God puts in these Easter eggs throughout scripture and starts foreshadowing things that we can look back on and say, man, he was at work all the time. And I think he does that even in our lives. All of these moments that we don't think mean anything, but then we have this holy moment and this encounter and we start looking back and we see, God was at work preparing me for this moment. So going on in verse 31, he says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. So don't miss the fact that in Mary's mind, she must be thinking, oh my gosh, prophecy is about to be fulfilled. I've been hearing this since I was a child. But at this point, there had been 400 years of silence. But now the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14, where scripture says the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary's connecting some of these dots and suddenly she's like, God's gonna do something big. He's gonna send a savior to the world and he's gonna be born through a virgin and it's gonna be amazing. And then a moment must have clicked where then it hit, oh my goodness, is this me? Like, no way, he can't mean me. You've got the wrong person. I'm from Nazareth. I'm, I'm just Mary. Verse 32 says, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is Gabriel saying, hey, there's a covenant promise that God made to King David back in Psalm 89, where he says that, look, I'll establish your descendants as kings forever. 
And Mary, after 400 years of silence, realizes this is about to go down. The last time God had showed up on the scene was through the prophet Malachi, way back in the Old Testament. And then 400 years goes by with a big bag of nothing. Her, her mom didn't hear anything. Her grandma didn't hear anything. Great-grandma, great-great-great-great-great-grandma. 400 years goes by. And then Gabriel shows up, first to Zechariah, then six months later. He says, greetings, favored woman. After 400 years of nothing, and if you think about that, imagine going through and having this story passed down through the generations that somebody's coming to save you. A savior's coming, but nobody's showing up. And you've heard it. You heard your grandma talk about it. You heard your mom talk about it. And it's like, okay, what are we doing here? But then suddenly an angel appears on the scene and says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Like, like, what is happening? So in verse 34, Mary asks the angel, but hold on, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now, good question, Mary. How's it going to happen? We kind of know what needs to happen. That hasn't happened yet. So, so Gabriel tells her in the next verse, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, I tend to stop the Christmas story right there. Like, yep, angel came, visited Mary, she's going to have a baby. Check. But the angel didn't stop there. We have to see what the angel said next. He says, oh, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Continuing on, it says, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Like, whoa, what in the world just happened? Mary asks a question like, I'm a virgin. How's this going to kind of play out? And Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. You're going to have a baby. And then it's like, oh, wait, bonus, your cousin Elizabeth, you know, the barren one? Yep, she's pregnant too. Now, why does this matter? Because all of a sudden, Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done unto me as the Lord has said. So let's connect these dots for a moment. Let's go back six months in time. You see, Mary and Elizabeth, they're cousins. And Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, as the Bible puts it, are well advanced in years. And with everything, with historical stuff, there's debate. What, what does well advanced in years mean? Some scholars believe 60 years. Some say even upwards of 80 years old. I can't imagine being 80 years old and having a newborn. But that's... The, the important part is we just understand they are past their childbearing years. But did you see what Gabriel called her? He said, remember the one that people call the barren one. Like, ouch. Like, I, I can't imagine the pain of infertility. I know that people struggle with that. But I think about Zechariah was a priest. How many times do you think he prayed for a child? 
And like they prayed for kids and prayed for kids. And now my wife's being called the barren one and she's past the age of childbearing. Like how painful that must be. But then Gabriel shows up and tells Mary that Elizabeth's pregnant too. Like this is crazy, but it happened. So why does the six months matter? Well, if you're six months pregnant, you've got the baby bump going on. Like at the beginning, it's hard to tell. Like our, our next door neighbor actually just told us that she's expecting a baby soon. And we're like, yay. And she's like, we're like, why didn't you tell us sooner? Because she's due in February. And, and she's like, I just thought you'd be able to tell. And it's like, well, no, like, especially with all the winter clothes on now. Like, but the reason six months matters is because Elizabeth has the baby bump going on. Mary doesn't just yet. And this is going to be key for Mary because the story keeps going. In verse 39, scripture says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I watch all the same Christmas movies like you do. I see Mary go to Elizabeth. Mary shows up. She's got the cute little baby bump and she's rubbing her belly. But this was just a few days. She had no belly. She's not showing. In fact, she's probably scared out of her mind. She's confused and disturbed. And she's thinking, what is happening? Why me? I'm from Nazareth. Why is this angel come to me? But Gabriel's like, I get it. It's a lot to take in. But Elizabeth's pregnant too. And Mary's got to be thinking, how is that possible? Like, she can't have babies. She's old. She's the barren one. But God is so gracious, and he's so loving. And he has Gabriel wait six months before coming to tell Mary. Why? Because Mary is like us. When God calls you to something big, you often don't believe in yourself. And I'm guessing at first, Mary didn't believe in herself either. She's probably thinking like, I don't know, like, I mean, may it be done unto me? Like, I, I surrender to God's will, but hold up. Elizabeth's pregnant? I got to go see this. And she takes off to go see Elizabeth. Elizabeth greets her, and it says right here in Scripture that Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Now, I just have to say, Elizabeth better have been filled with the Holy Spirit because if she's going to tell someone who's not showing that she has a baby, like she's, that's a risky move. Like we know not to do that. But Elizabeth tells her. And remember, Mary's only 14 or 15. She's not even married. And she so, shows up and she's thinking, how do I even know how to, this is going to go down? Like I'm about to tell Elizabeth I'm going to have a baby, but I'm not married. Will she understand? Will she be supportive? Is she even going to believe me? But before Mary can even say anything, Elizabeth is like, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. And if, if you ask me, it sounds similar to Gabriel's greeting when he came to visit Mary. Gabriel said, greetings favored above all women. It's a very similar greeting. And I think God does this because sometimes he's just got to remind us that we really are favored and that he really is with us. And I think he's helping Mary connect these dots that I am with you, I am in this. And Elizabeth goes on in verse 43 saying, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? 
When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You believed, and in your belief, Mary, you surrendered your will. And I love that because that's what we touched on last week with Joseph. He didn't have all of his ducks in a row. He didn't have all of the answers. Mary didn't have all of the facts laid out. You might not have all of the facts. You don't know all of the details. But you surrender yourself to God and you make yourself available to him. And it's in this moment that Mary goes on to pray this beautiful song of praise that essentially says, Lord, your will be done. I surrender. I surrender to you. And I believe Mary needed to hear that encouragement because Gabriel comes and tells her, you're going to have a baby. You're going to fulfill all of these prophecies that you've been waiting for. God has chosen you. And Mary's like, how in the world is that true? How could it be me? So Gabriel tells her Elizabeth's pregnant too. Mary goes and sees Elizabeth, and it's in this moment when she walks in and sees her cousin that all the confusion and bewilderment starts going away. The dots start connecting. And what started off as this startling and overwhelming moment suddenly turns into this holy moment, a moment that Mary would need and remember for the rest of her life, that I am chosen and I am called. Because you see, Mary, she was going to endure all sorts of trials throughout her life. She first has to tell Joseph, how's he going to respond? She's going to face public ridicule. Then she's going to have to learn how to walk through life and raise this child. And then at the end of her son's life, she's going to see him hang on a cross, beaten, suffocating, and dying a painful death. But that's why at this moment, when she comes in and sees her cousin Elizabeth, she gets it. It's at this moment, this holy moment, when Mary understands that surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. And she needed this moment to keep reminding herself that God was in it from the very beginning. Mary understood that surrender is a lifestyle. And like I said at the beginning, all of us, we have something to surrender. We have relationships we need to surrender. We have job opportunities we have to surrender. We have future in our kids and our grandkids' future that we have to surrender to God. And let's not fool ourselves. Sometimes we surrender things, say, yep, God, I'm giving it to you. But then we pick it back up a moment later and walk out the door. So remember, surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. And I truly believe that God is calling all of us to surrender something. So today I'm praying that this is a day when God says to you, I've got you. I love you. You have found favor with me. I'm giving you the same undeserved grace that I gave to Mary. So are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to respond in the same way that Mary did, saying, I am the Lord's servant? I'm praying that this moment becomes a holy moment for you, a moment where you can let go of whatever's holding you back or weighing you down, and a moment you simply say, I surrender. I am the Lord's servant.
And whatever it is, surrender it to God today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next. Because we know that it's not just a moment in time, but surrender is a moment or moments all the time. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we walk through this season and walk toward Christmas Day, that we would walk in a posture of surrender. God, I'm praying for those here today who hear you speaking to them, who feel you in their hearts, revealing areas that they need to surrender. Maybe it's something they've surrendered in the past, but have once again picked up. Or maybe it's an area of their life they've never surrendered. Whatever it is, I pray that you help them surrender these things to you. And I pray that you do a work in their hearts and lives that only you can do. So with no one looking around, if you're here today and you're just needing to surrender something to God, would you just lift up your hand? I'd be honored to pray for you. Simply saying, God, be in control. Father, thank you for those who've raised their hands, who are surrendering to you. I pray that we would position ourselves like Mary and say, we are your servants. May it be done unto us. And I pray that you would help us to do this daily, to surrender to your work in our lives. Sometimes that work feels so hard, could feel hurtful, can feel difficult, but I pray that you would give us the strength to continue to surrender, not just in a moment, but in moments all the time, every single day from here on out. I pray you would give us a posture of surrender. And for those here today who've never surrendered your life to Christ, this might be the day that God's inviting you to step away from your old life and step into the new life that he promises. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of your standard, God. We like to be in control of our own lives. We don't like to surrender. But after trying so many things, money, careers, substances, relationships, whatever it is, we discover that the only true peace and hope and love and joy comes from you. God, we experience it as we surrender our lives to your son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins. So God, I just pray that we surrender our lives to you this morning and that we discover freedom and purpose So God, give us a life that's far better than anything we could ever imagine as we surrender ourselves to you. If anyone here is just saying, you know what, that's me, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, just lift up your hand right now. Let me pray with you. Let's all do this. Let, let's all pray this prayer aloud together. If you'll pray after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. 
to die in my place. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation and help me to follow you and surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.